Let us begin in the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our trespasses, as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. Amen. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Well, welcome to another edition of Seeds of Truth. This is your host, Joe Holcraft, coming to you from KKXX Studios, Chico Life Radio, 104.5 FM and AM 930. It is good to be with you another a Thursday evening, an evening where we have the opportunity to engage uh, this great topic of theology of the body. We are in our second week of theology of the body. I was gone last week, so we needed to re-air our first week, and hopefully that was beneficial to you. And as I had last week, uh, Ivan Moore with me. Uh, once again, I have him here with me this week. So Ivan, it's great to have you with me another night. It's an honor to be back here. Ivan, so last week we had the opportunity to really introduce theology of the body. And what we mean by theology of the body is the way in which we can begin to understand uh, the God who is love and how he stamps his plan of sexuality into the language of our bodies and how in the pursuit of understanding what this means, we can go deeper in our faith and appreciate at a deeper level what it means to be created in the image and likeness of God in our maleness and femaleness, in our masculinity and femininity. This is really what lies at the heart of theology of the body. How are we called to love one another in light of this spousal meaning of the body, which again is God's plan of sexuality stamped into our very bodies. That is what lies at the heart of it. So often we think about love and we talk about relationships but we often remove God from that picture. Well, what Pope John Paul II uh, provides for us is a wonderful opportunity in his deep, deep study of man, how to better understand our vocation to love as uh, male and female. So this second week, Ivan, what we are about then is really getting underneath what it means to love as it relates to uh, yes, our relationships, but also um, how we are to counter uh, this culture, which is constant in its message to use one another. You know, John Paul II once said, we were created to love people and use things, and we love things and use people. I really think that is what is at the heart of our program tonight. So what does it mean to love? I, I was listening to last week's program, and I I don't know if we actually offered up a definition of love. And for John Paul II, love is simply a decision to will the good of another person. He would echo this, just not only in so many pages of his Theology of the Body, but also in many of his documents. If you were to go through uh, Pope John Paul II's documents, and now St. John Paul II writes, you will find this definition of love everywhere because he is a man who is entrenched with this understanding of love. So in light of that, he says, you want to know what really it is about defining love 
as a self-donation that we might overcome, as he would put it, this utilitarian attitude, which simply defined is this attitude that is self-seeking, this attitude that wishes to constantly use people. I mean, do we look at each and every situation as something that we can give to it or something that we can take from it? Are we living in the mindset of a self-donation or uh, self-seeking? So this is what really lies at the heart of his vision. And so certainly he would go to the essence of meaning sacrifice, because Ivan's sacrifice is the fullest expression of love. Love par excellence. This is the Christian vision. This is what Christ teaches us on the cross, is the donation of the flesh, total and entire. And as we talk about sacrifice, it could never be overstated what sacrifice means, huh? Secum fice, to make holy. Sacrificial love is holy love. You know, and it seems that in our culture today, we don't like the word sacrifice very much mm-hmm. because it implies a dying to ourselves. Mm-hmm. It implies sort of a giving up something that we want, perhaps maybe our freedom sometimes. And it seems like for Christ or in this theology of the body, this definition of love involves just the opposite, giving of ourselves. The world says, if it's available, take it. Mm-hmm. Christ says, no, give. If you have, mm-hmm. give. Mm-hmm. And as we will learn in theology of the body, what seems to be the most miserable way to live is in reality what gives us the greatest joy, mm-hmm. that self-giving of ourselves for the sake of love to one another. That's right. We say, what can I get out of this as opposed to what can I give to this? I mean, that really is the essence of the uh, self-donation versus the self-seeking. For John Paul II, and everything surrounds this identity of the person, this called to make a gift of himself. And so he has a quote in his Love and Responsibility book and also in his Theology of the Body that says, Man, who is the only creature on earth which God willed for itself, can fully find himself only and only through a sincere gift of himself. Mm-hmm. And that itself is so rich. Mm-hmm. So I was thinking... Uh, it, it may well define what this means. What does it mean to make a gift of himself, a sincere gift of himself? Mm-hmm. And, um, well, we should go back to this idea that, like you mentioned earlier, we were made in the image and likeness of God, mm-hmm. but not just because we have an immoral soul, not just because we possess an intellect, but because God in himself is a perfect exchange of love. He's a sincere gift of himself from the Son to the Father, the Father to the Son. Mm-hmm. And we are, as human beings, called to image this this trinity we were made mm-hmm. in the image and of this trinity so we are also called to live our lives making a sincere gift of ourselves like the father gives to his son and the son gives himself to the father mm-hmm. yeah ivan you know in uh, 2014 and the drive-by media and the cultural influences want to tell us that the potential of man is realized and how we can advance technologically how we can advance in this mechanical sense. And certainly there's an importance to understanding that the sciences have their place in the world today. But that is not the full vision of man. Yes, that speaks to our functionality. But what does this highlight, Ivan? It highlights this uh, usury attitude, right? What about Christ? 
What does he reveal to man? He reveals to man his potential to love, to love with a divine love. He gives us the spirit that we might love as Christ loved. I mean, if you think about it, if there's anything that Christ teaches us while he was here on earth was uh, how to die to self. And this is, as you had already touched upon it, Ivan, what lies at the heart of the truest meaning of love. And this is more than just, well, a good Samaritan act. Oh, I'm going to do my good Samaritan act for the day. I'm, I'm, I'm going to offer up a, a gesture. No, this is a way of life. This is a state of being. This is God just invading our hearts, invading our souls, and really inverting the way we think about life in general. This is what John Paul II wants us to see. It's far, far more than just something on the surface. He wants us to go deeper, and that's what lies at the heart of this meaning of love. And so, as we talk about this, Ivan, to really get underneath this, we do have to offer up its antithesis, right? Lust, as it relates to uh, our treatment of theology of the body. Lust is that sexual desire apart from God's love, a sexual desire to please oneself as it treats people as objects to achieve that pleasure. Pope John Paul II put it this way, lust tramples on the ruins of the spousal meaning of the body. Again, God's plan of sexuality stamped into our very bodies. Lust aims directly only to satisfy the sexual need of the body. It seeks the sensation of sexuality, Ivan, minus the understanding of the true gift as donation of the flesh in its other capacities. Lust takes that raw material, the physical attraction towards other, and turns every relationship into that utilitarian sense of relationship. Lust is disordered. You know, we have some important words from Christ here. Ivan, if you go to Matthew uh, uh, 5, verses 27 to 28, we read, You have heard that it was said, You shall not commit adultery. But I say to you that everyone who looks at a woman lustfully has already committed adultery with her in his heart. So here you have one of his, what we call antitheses, six antitheses, where Jesus Christ says, you have heard it said, but now I say to you. And in the Sermon on the Mount, in chapters five to seven, what Jesus Christ is doing is he's deepening the moral code of the Ten Commandments. Certainly, the Ten Commandments prohibited adultery. But what did Jesus just say? If you lust in your heart, then you've sinned. We don't think of it that way, but that is what Jesus says. You know, and it's, it's interesting that we don't realize how much Christ changed the way that we treat each other. Yeah. He didn't just say it, but not cheat. He said, have a change of heart so you no longer want to cheat. Yeah, that's right. He said, you want to be perfect? What the, what, the, what the world said, maybe just take, yeah. get powerful. But he said, you want to be the first? No, you become the last. That's right. You want to be perfect? You lay down your life mm -hmm. for your brother, for your sister, for your spouse. Mm -hmm. So he's given us the example of, of what love is. And if any, if any time we forget it, all we have to do is look at the cross and, and he will remind us. That's right. It's important to note here, Ivan, that when we talk about Christianity in general, 
we must always understand, it's really one of the first principles of the Christian faith, is that is, our faith is paradoxical. By paradoxical, I mean literally, uh, it is contrary to expectation. It is unconventional. So often we look at something and we say, well, that's what it means. And yet the Christian faith, if, it's, if all you're going to give it is one glance, then, then you're not going to get it. And certainly that's, again, what the crucifix teaches us. That's what the cross teaches us. And, and his whole message is one paradox after another. You must be last to be first. You must be weak to be strong. You must die to live. G.K. Chesterton once said, oh, the tension of paradox, you know. Mm-hmm. And this is what our Lord offers for us. He reminds us that everything we do We have to do it in light of that deeper relationship with him so that we might have access to better understand the many paradoxes of our faith. You know, and when it comes to lust, you know, it can be a very uh, sensitive issue, particularly not just for men, but for women too, for all of us, because we are uh, bounded to this concupiscence. Concupiscence Mm -hmm. sounds like a complicated term, but it just means this inclination that we have to do what we're not supposed to. Yep, inclination to sin. Yep, that's right. inclination to sin. And when it comes to other sins, so we we meet a person who is angry, for example. We believe that he can become more passive. We we find a person who is prideful. We we believe that he can become humble. Mm -hmm. But when we find a person who is lustful, we believe that that's just the way it's going to be. But in this theology of the body, this gives us great hope because John Paul II says, and also in the Catechism, that Christ came here to restore creation to it, the purity of its origins. Mm-hmm. And because of Christ, this lust can be overcome. That's it doesn't right. doesn't have to overpower us. That's right. Yeah, and that's what lies at the heart of what Jesus Christ is saying there in Matthew 5, uh, verses 27 to 28, and really his larger message of the Sermon on the Mount. By deepening the moral code of the Ten Commands, Commandments, what he's saying is ultimately... While God gave us the, the old law to, to abide by, it did not have the power to redeem. Mm-hmm. You know, the great passage from Jeremiah 31, verses 31 and following, where Jeremiah says, With the coming of the Messiah, the law will no longer be etched onto stone, but written onto the heart, because in the new law you will be given the power of the Holy Spirit, and the power of the Holy Spirit will allow you to, to live in a new and profound way. It's interesting, Ivan, as you were talking, and as I'm talking about this now, the power of the Holy Spirit, what was the first sin that Jesus forgave but the woman caught in adultery? It's the first sin that Jesus forgave. And Ivan, I think that's important because as we talk about lust and as we talk about the need for our hearts to be redeemed and our relationships to be restored, I think it's comforting (laughs) to Mm -hmm. be reminded that the first sin that Christ forgave was the sin of impurity, the sin of uh, unchastity, the sin of lust. And ultimately, Ivan, we should be comforted in that. We should see uh, the wonder and the beauty of that truth. You know, as we are talking about this, Ivan, I cannot help but think of the siege of pornography today. You know, what are we talking about when we talk about pornography? Well, pornography, generally speaking, consists in removing real or 
simulated acts from the intimacy of partners in order to display them to third parties, right? So at the at its core, the gravity of pornography rests in this selfish use of persons, once again, this utilitarian sense, and vendors for base pleasure, which ultimately, I even causes great harm, and that has far-ranging communal effects, as so many outlets, such as uh, the internet, video stores, magazines, and businesses as a whole are accruing billions of dollars in the name of pornography. In point of fact, the pornography industry claimed over $97 billion of net value, which totals more than Microsoft, Google, Yahoo, and Apple combined. Wow. Wow. I mean, these numbers are striking. And, and this is a number from several years ago. I mean, my goodness. The point is clear. We have a problem, but it can be redeemed. And that's what's so important. And, you know, regarding pornography, some people may say, well, our bodies are good and sex was part of God's plan. So what is wrong with that? I'm not hurting anybody. But it goes back to this idea of using versus loving. Mm-hmm. Because what does pornography do to us? Pornography for, portrays to us a vision of sex, which is founded on this idea of using one another. Mm-hmm. What we see there, it's the counterfeit of love. And a man may say, well, once I find a spouse, then I can give up on pornography and truly love my wife. Yeah. But what happens is so many men have been exposed to pornography for so long that their minds have been trained that this is what the sexual union is supposed to be like. Mm-hmm. And so they have been trained in this using of the other person so that when they actually enter into a relationship, it's so hard to see their wife any other way, mm-hmm. any different, because mm-hmm. their mind had been trained in the counterfeit of love. That's right. And this is what we, when we most need to get on our knees and pray to Christ that he will help us to untwist this vision of love, help us to experience our sexuality, help us to see our partner, how God sees them, how he was meant to be. That's right. Yeah, I mean, pornography has essentially sabotaged so many marriages in these simulated acts in which really there's there's no authentic expression of love. It is important to note, Ivan, that as we talk about lusting after women, we do not remove this from our marriages, huh? We lust after other women precisely because we lust after a woman. If the consummative act is just about the sex and nothing else, then yeah, we will do the same wherever we go. Think about just the act and not how the donation of flesh has something to contribute to the act itself. This is why the act must always be within the context of the sacrament of marriage, huh? Because it always points to the greater love, the deeper love, the love that is the total and entire self-gift. And I think that some, something that can help us to achieve just that is to remind ourselves the opposite of love is not hate, yep. but is actually using. Using is the opposite of love. And a synonym for love, according to John Paul II, is self-given. Mm-hmm. Self-giving and love are absolutely the same thing in John Paul II's eyes. That's right. But there's always this little fear of giving of ourselves. You know, when I was in my teenage years, I had a family member come to me and said, Ivan, don't, don't ever fall in love because if you fall in love, well, a man who falls in love uh, loses his will and it hurts. Mm-hmm. And though I might disagree with what he said, I can understand what he's saying because it is true. Like, look at a person, look at a couple who are in love. 
all of a sudden you begin to want what's best for the other. Mm-hmm. You begin to live for that other person. And sometimes that means self-sacrificing. You might have certain things you want to do, but then because out of love, you put them to the side. Mm-hmm. And this can be scary for a lot of people, especially if you're used to taking lust. Yeah. Lust wants to take, but love wants to give. That's right. And when we're constantly bombarded with lust, then our nature, our mind wants to take. So mm-hmm. this idea of giving is not very, very, very um, exciting. Sure, sure. And that's an excellent point because in the end, yeah, we live in this entrapment of fear. You know, we fear what we do not know. And uh, it binds us. It chains us up. And ultimately, then we are not able to give ourselves. We are not free to only love. So Ivan, as we are talking about this, we have to take up that counter virtue to lust and that is purity, chastity, huh? For John Paul too, when we talk about purity, when we say purity and pure, he wants us to see this initially in the terms of what is opposite to dirty, right? To dirty uh, means to make unclean, to pollute. Uh, certainly this pertains to the physical world. When we speak about purity in the moral sense, that is about the virtue of purity, We are using an analogy according to which moral evil is compared with being dirty. Uh, Certainly, this is what Christ affirms, right? Matthew 15, verse 18. What comes out of the mouth proceeds from the heart, and this is what makes a man unclean. Huh? So, purity, uh, chastity, the word chaste. What does the word chaste mean in its Latin? Literally means clean. You know, Christians have long used this word to describe that particular virtue that moderates our sexual desire. But this is not, and we can never emphasize this enough, Ivan, this is not because sexual desire itself is somehow unclean or dirty. In fact, John Paul II warned against the negative view of chastity that turns this virtue into a mere suppression and sensual desire. As he says, just don't have sex before you're married. In this negative light, chastity becomes merely one long no. So we must see chastity then as a positive virtue that enables us to love, that protects love from being tainted by the selfish tendency to use the other person for our own pleasure. John Paul II said chastity is emphatically not one long no. Rather, it is first and foremost a yes. A yes in our hearts to the other person, not just to his or her sexual values. It is a yes that requires certain no's in order to protect love from falling into this utilitarian attitude. So purity is, again, that counter-virtue to lust that enables us to see the dignity of the human person as a son or daughter of God. It is also worth noting here, uh, Ivan, that the word purity in the Hebrew myth is also the same word for truth. So if we are going to abide in the way, the truth, and the life, then we do so by way of purity. And in the Catechism, John Paul II says, it's also a gift. So it's not something merely that you do. I'm going to do these particular steps and instructions and then I'm pure. But it's other, but rather it is something that is given to us by God. And so one has to ask, 
or this virtue of purity or chastity. Yeah, and as a gift, the, the, the idea here is we are, in a sense, impregnated with Christ's purity. And when we are in that space, then we are ultimately free to love. Gift is very important because once we understand it as a gift, then we can begin to appreciate um, the dynamism of Christ living within us, Christ's purity living within us. You know, and it takes us to, the, you know, the beatitude, blessed are the pure in heart for they shall see God. At this point, Ivan, I want to draw from the theologian uh, Mary Caucus. He's well-respected. He's kind of the, the leading authority on the Gospel of Matthew. And so he offers up for us a very important reflection as it relates to that great beatitude, blessed are the pure of heart, for they shall see God. He says this. He says, this beatitude praises not a specific action, but a habitual condition of the Spirit, a state of being, something that shall never pass away like poverty, mourning, hunger, and thirst, or even the need to have mercy. Here we have an eternal quality that already anticipates the life of the blessed united to God. Purity of heart is a quality that restores to a person the state of full grace and joy that Adam and Eve had before their sin. The Greek term, and I think this to be so important here, especially as it relates to our discussion earlier on sacrifice. He says the Greek term alludes to Jewish rituals of purification. So that clean here means not only morally upright, free of base thoughts and actions, but especially refers to a heart that has been removed from the realm of the profane and consecrated to the service of God, a heart in some sense made into a vessel to receive the presence of God. He goes on, the reward for such purity is extraordinary. They shall see God. And yet God himself affirms to Moses, man cannot see me and live. The organ for seeing here is the heart rather than the eyes, or at least the eyes themselves see through the heart. For the Jew, the heart was the central organ of human operation, the seat not only of the feelings, but also of the mind, the will, and the affections. Before purifying it, we must first locate this organ where our whole person comes together. Such purity of heart is blessed above all because it allows God to be God. The pure heart sees God because it turns its gaze away from everything else. It fixes its undivided and loving vision on the beloved, gazing at the other. It comes to forget itself. The impure heart traverses the world surrounded by mirrors, having only itself as sole object of contemplation. The pure heart loses itself in what it loves. For sheer admiration, it has no time left to turn to itself, nor does it desire to. So here we have a wonderful definition and reflection, just not on the heart, but what it means, Ivan, to be pure of heart and how purity as you already spoke to it as a gift, allows us to really see the mind and heart of God, to see as God sees. It is, it is this um, chastity, which is a virtue, that allows us to see the dignity in this other person, to see them as a daughter of God. That's and right. so often we limit this word chastity to mean just a bunch of no's to a lot of things, like no to sex. Yeah. But no, that's not the same. Abstinence is not the same as chastity. Is it possible that a person who is abstinent cannot be chaste? And the answer we know is yes. That's right. 
So chastity involves this transformation from the inside. Mm-hmm. And it's so much more than just mere abstinence. That's right, Ivan. And as we wrap up, I just want to encourage our listening audience to pray for the grace and the strength that is necessary to overcome the desires of the flesh, that we might inhabit, gain a deeper sense of what it means to have a, a self-mastery of the senses, to say no to one thing so as to say yes to another, no to the ways of evil, and yes to the goodness of Jesus Christ. Let us close in prayer. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit, amen. All glory be to the Father, and to the Son, and to the Holy Spirit, as it was in the beginning, is now, and ever shall be, world without end, amen. And God bless you. Thanks for listening to Seeds of Truth, heard every evening, Monday through Friday at 6.30 p.m. If you'd like to hear this program or find out how you can help support Seeds of Truth, the website is joeholcraft.org.